The following message is entitled, Hourglass Mercy Power Unleashed, Part 8. This message was given during the morning service on December 11, 2022, at the Eastside Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. I want to quote two theologians from many years ago, hundreds of years ago. Uh, it doesn't do any good to tell you who they are. You probably wouldn't recognize their names anyways, because they're very remote. They weren't well-known, but they were brilliant theologians, one from the early 1800s and one from the 1700s. One said this concerning mercy, and I quote, Between the usual salutation, in 1 Timothy 1-2, he's commenting on this verse, actually, between the usual salutation, grace, and peace in these pastoral epistles, Paul introduces mercy, this writer says. The nearness of death, for Paul, the weakness of old age, the dangers ever increasing, which crowded around Paul, seemed to have called forth from him deeper expressions of love and tender pity. Jesus Christ, his hope burned before him, a guiding star ever brighter and clearer. And the mercy of God, which the old man felt he had obtained, he longed to share with others. Longing to share mercy with others. That's the point of the sermon today. Second quote from 300 years ago. Another theologian said this about mercy. And he speaks to the gift of mercy, which we believers take for granted so often as sinners that we are. Quote, What an encouragement we have to serve God who shows us mercy. Who would not be willing to serve a prince given to mercy and clemency? God is said to delight in mercy. Justice is God's left hand and mercy is his right. He uses his right hand most since he is more prone towards mercy than justice. He is slow to anger and ready to forgive. God's mercy is what encourages us to serve him. If God was all justice, it might frighten us from him. But his mercy is a powerful magnet to draw us to him. Hope in God's mercy. But I have been a great sinner, and surely there is no mercy for me, someone might say. Not if you continue to go on in your sins. But if you will break off your sins, the golden scepter of mercy shall be held forth to you. The power of hope in our lives is God's mercy. The power of hope in our lives is God's mercy. What a great statement. End quote. Let's fill in some blanks in your note sheet in the introduction and at the top then. As these two writers pointed out, each separately, age and service. Age and service are profoundly affected by the doctrine of mercy. Age and service are profoundly affected by the doctrine of mercy, as both of those authors pointed out. Now, what does that mean? Let's start with age. The older one gets, the more one sees eternity looming up before him. The older one gets, the more one sees eternity looming up before him. And, of course, the older you get, you start looking back at life. And all of us can look back at life and see things that we wasted, time we wasted, opportunities that we wasted in so many regards, even as believers. And an older believer, as the one writer pointed out, if walking with Christ still, all that that older believer can do is cling to mercy. 
Because we can never look back and say as we get older, we did everything right. It's possible. We have to cling to mercy. And this is older believers. You write that underneath age there. It's older believers who do this. Younger believers are driven too much by what's coming, hoping for, the things, the plans for the future. And mercy becomes usually for younger believers, not always, but usually a quality that is not so cherished. But looking back as older believers, we see how much we've wasted and done and sinned. The only defense we have is to cling to mercy. Age and service. Service, number two, that the one writer spoke of, the second writer. What does that mean? Fill in the blanks. The godly believer is overwhelmed. The godly believer is overwhelmed with the mercy of his Savior. The godly believer is overwhelmed with the mercy of a Savior and deeply longs, longs, L-O-N-G-S, deeply longs to give his life in service to such a loving and patient God. The godly believer is overwhelmed with the mercy of a Savior and deeply longs to give his life in service to such a loving and patient God. Now this means a couple things. I don't love to serve if I have no use for his mercy. That's one thing to write down under service. I don't long to serve if I don't love his mercy. I don't long to serve if I don't love his mercy. Godly believers realize, secondly, they never serve well. Godly believers realize they never serve sufficiently or well. We never serve the best we could. We have never said to our children that I can remember as parents, Sue and I, kids, we did the best we could. We, how could we ever say that? You can't say that in service at church. You can't say that as parents. We did the best we could. Seriously, there's no aspect of the Christian life we do the best we could. We'd be perfect, right? To consistently do the best you can at all times, impossible. So the godly believer clings to mercy because he knows that we don't serve sufficiently. We're not good at living for the Lord. We require his mercy. However, the licentious and legalistic believer doesn't care for God's mercy, doesn't care to serve. The licentious and legalistic believer believes that God and others need to give them stuff. We realize as we walk with the Lord and we are giving out of our lives in service, it's never going to be good enough. We cling to his mercy. So we're continuing to understand today for one last time in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. These come from only God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. These are power conduits. Grace is God granting us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God withholding what we do deserve. Grace is God granting us the power to be saved and to live for him. We don't deserve that. Mercy is God withholding what we do deserve, which is hell, and withholding judgment as believers, even when we are so poor at living for him. Peace is the outcome when we Subscribe to God's power of grace and God's power of mercy, then peace is the outcome in our lives. It proves we're living under grace and mercy properly.
No dead false god of this planet shows mercy. Only the God of the Bible. And no believer can grow and function spiritually in this life without living in and under the mercy of the Lord. So Paul is reminding us of this right up front in this pastoral epistle in verse 2. That neither a church nor a believer will ever be godly who does not feast on the mercy of the Lord. And that is where our spiritual power lies. Almost the entire front side of your note sheet is review. Let's quickly draw ourselves down to Roman numeral 1, letter C, the great trilogy, Empowering God's Servants. And then number 2 under letter C is where we're at with mercy. We've seen many lessons concerning the theology and doctrine of mercy, and we're in the practical application, lesson number 9 of 10 lessons this morning, still for one more aspect of application. Lesson number 1, the hour of glass of mercy. And Saul, we learned from that that there is no mercy for apostates. It is impossible, as we learn, for a heretic or an apostate to be saved. It is impossible. Lesson number two that we saw, the hour of glass of mercy in Jehoshaphat, who was in rebellion at one time in his life, that we realize there is no mercy for rebellious true believers without repentance. Mercy piggybacks upon repentance for the believer. Lesson three, what is, what is the hourglass, which is pictured there on your note sheet, a little hourglass, what does that mean? We saw that and learned that. that there's a time limit to God's mercy, both for the saved and the unsaved. And it doesn't, he does not tell us when that hourglass runs out of mercy. It is God deciding at some sovereign moment, either for the offer of salvation to an unbeliever or the offer of sanctification to a believer, there is a time when that hourglass of mercy runs out, we don't know when it is. God decides that sovereignly, as we learned in Lesson 3. That raised Lessons 4 and 5. Lesson 4, we can only tell when mercy is run out by observing the evidences of a believer's life of rebellion. We looked at the marks of rebellion, and a major one is willful unteachableness, as we saw in 1 Thessalonians 5. And a second major mark of rebellion, as we learned in Lesson 4, is God chastises every true believer who's in rebellion. He chastises every true believer who's in rebellion. Where there is no chastisement, there is either no rebellion, the person is growing as a believer, or where there's no chastisement, the person is an apostate and not saved. The Lord only disciplines his children, as we know from Hebrews chapter 12. In the midpoint of the film, lesson five, I reminded you what the actual word in the Greek means, elias, it means pity or compassion. And it's upon those who do not deserve pity or compassion, who deserve to be judged or chastised. Since we have to constantly live under mercy, that means even as believers, we, we constantly deserve to be judged. There's no, there doesn't come a day when we become worthy in ourselves. The worthiness is put upon us on the, by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is Christ's worthiness that is placed upon us. We are always unworthy in and of ourselves. That's why we live under mercy continuously. Lesson number six that we saw in these lessons from the hourglass of mercy. Lesson six, the offer of mercy to mankind is unconditional. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lesson seven, the reception of mercy, however, is conditional. If it was unconditional, the reception, no one would have to receive Christ. No one as a believer would have to repent. The reception of mercy is to continuously repent as a believer to receive mercy. And the reception of mercy as an unbeliever is to repent and be saved. That's the condition. Lesson 8 in the hourglass of mercy. Mercy is sympathy for our plight, but as mercy is not the excusing of sin. If you can't keep those straight, 
you will backslide. Lesson number eight is possibly the most important lesson we learned on mercy. To never excuse sympathy from God about our sin struggles with God excusing our sin. If you cross that bridge from rejoicing in his sympathy to believing he doesn't care if you sin, you and I are gone spiritually at that point. So we studied that extensively. And now we're in lesson number 9 of 10, finishing that one. Three ways mercy sanctifies you and I, if we let it. Mercy power. We've seen two of the three. We'll finish off the third one this morning. In your note sheet in the bottom of the front side, the first two ways that mercy power sanctifies us is, number one, sanctifies the believer when the believer is trusting God's power to transform him even though he still sins terribly. The day you come to the conclusion, I'm constantly sinning, I will never have victory, you're not helping me, is the day we've lost his mercy. It's the day we're no longer trusting in his mercy. The godly believer says this, though I continuously sin as a believer, I am trusting you in your mercy. You will never give up on me. Help me. So the principle under number one is living by mercy defeats licentiousness. Licentiousness just means it's, it's a lawless philosophy that says I am free. I have a license, a driver's license to sin from God. I am free in Christ to sin. Galatians 5 destroys that as we saw. The second way that mercy power sanctifies us, as we've seen, is when the believers trust in God to not cast him off when he fails. Some Christians think it's righteous to pray this way, I suppose. Lord, I am such a terrible sinner. You, you, I know you've cast me off. I deserve to be cast off. No, that's legalism. Uh, that's a Christian who is attempting to perform their way into getting God's grace. Grace is not earned. We are saved by grace through faith, and we are sanctified by grace through faith. We don't earn him into our lives to be saved, and we certainly don't earn Christ's continuing to be in our lives and be sanctified. We live by mercy. That defeats legalism. Now, number three, the third and final way that mercy sanctifies the believer, fill in the blanks on the backside, up at the top. Third and final way that mercy sanctifies the believer is through rejoicing in mercy. Rejoicing so much in mercy. Every day we should thank God for his mercy. As I've shown you and told you before, I've in my prayer book, if you see it lying around with duct tape on, a little red book, um, that's not yours. If you take that book, I'll kill you. Um, no mercy there. <laughs> I truly would rather lose my wallet with my credit cards if a guy came up to me outside and said, give me all that's valuable, and I emptied my pocket, my red prayer book was here in my wallet, and he said, which is more valuable? I'd say this prayer book, you can have my wallet. Um, I have attempted over the years, and if you ever want to see it, I can show it to you. Uh, it's upstairs. I've attempted to list all the ways that God has shown mercy toward me. I'm up to 64 separate prayers on his mercy because I'm so thankful that he has not cast me off. I rejoice in that because the more you grow, the more you realize just how you don't deserve anything and other than hell. Hell is the only thing that I deserve. I still don't know why he would choose me. I don't understand it, but I thank him and rejoice. This is rejoicing. Rejoicing transforms us, folks. Let's finish off the statement. 
so much in mercy that the Spirit then makes him godly as he lives in gratitude. It is such a simple principle to write under number three. Be thankful for his mercy every day and you will grow. That's so simple. Have you ever, you could say, John, have you ever met a backslidden Christian or a rebellious Christian who thanks God for his mercy? No. Mercy is a boring topic to the backslider. To the godly, it is everything. It's what we hang our hat on. There's a process by which we grow, and this is one of the greatest ways you grow in the power. When the Lord sees you and I humbly bowing our heads and thanking him for withholding wrath every single day, he knows two things about us. Number one, he knows that we know we deserve wrath. And secondly, he knows that, he, that we know he's the only one that can stop that wrath and continuously, continuously does that through his mercy. Let me take you on a jet tour. Jet tour of thankfulness. You've got to go to the Psalms if you really want to be revived and thankful for his mercy. This helps me so much in other ways as I pray through in this prayer book. And I, again, I, truly, I'd be glad to show it to you. It's falling apart. I've had to tape it and so forth. And uh, this doesn't make me anything great. <laughs> you, you know that by my public repent, repentance last Sunday. So this is, um, this is just me desperate in my prayer book to recognize how many ways I'm a goner. I'm a goner. And God has spared me. As you turn to Psalm 13, I told you a couple years ago, I was pulled over in my truck. I told you this already on Avenue L and 111th. Uh, I just decided sovereignly, as I have the power to do this as a driver, to not even touch my brakes going through a stop sign. I was kind of partaking of the chaos of the rest of the society. And as I just strolled through the stop sign with my foot off the brake, there was a police car sitting right there. Not exactly a genius, John Stevens is. So, oh, as I'm zooming through, sitting right there facing me, before she even started her vehicle up to come behind me, I had pulled up, dropped my window down, and had my license and registration. And she got out and came walking up, and she was laughing. And I said, Officer, as soon as I went through and blew off that sign, I knew I was a goner. And she burst out laughing. And she tapped it and went back to her car and came back and said, well, because you admitted you were a goner, have a nice day, sir. And I was like, thank you, officer, for the mercy. The more you realize you're a goner and don't make excuses. You want to get out a ticket, by the way, that's the way to do it. But that's, that's being nefarious. Okay, that's not actually being genuine. I just knew I was a goner. I was like, oh, so I was a goner, and I said to her, I blew it off. She listened for that. I blew off the stop sign. See, this is, we're goners. Psalm 13, this is David, so thankful that he's a goner. Verse 1, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? That's spiritual struggle. He's thinking God has hidden himself. Verse 3, he wants an answer. Consider an answer me, Lord my God. Are we all there on that? I mean, we want answers. We, we, we're not getting them. 
And instead of saying, where are you again, he starts to turn. In verse 3, enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. He wants his eyes to be awakened to realities. And then he slams back into mercy in verse 5. For I have trusted in your loving kindness. That's a made-up word in the English. There is no English word actually, loving kindness. It's the New American Standard attempting to give a term that defines Hebrew mercy, love and unconditional kindness. There it is. I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You see, even though he's doubting in verse 1, he goes back to this gratitude. Chapter 31 of Psalms, Psalm 31. Gratitude. I was so thankful that even though I was a goner, the police officer didn't give me the ticket. I just admitted my sin. That was mercy number one way to be sanctified. We admit our sin to God. God, I'm terrible in this. I have no excuse. I fail. I'm so thankful for your mercy. Psalm 31, verse 1. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed. In your righteousness, deliver me. He's looking for the power and grace of God. For spiritual deliverance as well as physical deliverance. Verse 2, incline your ear to me, rescue me quickly, be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress, for your name's sake you will lead me and guide me. That's faith. You will pull me out of the net which they have secretly laid for me, for you are my power or strength. Look at verse 5, into your hand I commit my spirit. That's what the Lord Jesus quoted. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. See, this is just great thankfulness. Great thankfulness. It continues on, verse 16. Make your face to shine upon your servant. Save me in your mercy. Constantly asking for help founded upon mercy. That's what we do. This is what the godly, I'm thankful for your mercy. Your mercy is always there. I can't earn this help with my sin. I need you to mercifully help me. Verse 19. How great is your goodness which you've stirred up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you. See, he's rejoicing. Verse 21, as for me, I said in my alarm, I, will, I am cut off from before your eyes. Nevertheless, you heard the voice of my supplications when I cried to you. That's mercy that he hears our prayers. Christians who don't pray are Christians who don't believe in the mercy of God. He listens to us not because we say wonderful prayers or because we have great faith. We don't on either count. He listens to us because he is merciful. That's why he listens. Verse 23, Oh, love the Lord, all you his godly ones. See, only the godly love the Lord. And then here's why. The Lord preserves the faithful mercy and fully recompense the proud doer justice. So we have mercy, they have justice coming. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Merciful living is hoping in the Lord. Psalm 90. Psalm 90, a thankful heart of mercy. Oh my goodness, this is the key to growing in Christ. Let us not focus on the wickedness of the world or the wickedness in the church. We have to at times, but let us always focus on our own sin, how terrible it is, never excusing it, and focus on the mercy of the Lord to forgive. Psalm 90, verse 14. Oh, satisfy us in the morning. First thing as sun rises, verse 14, Psalm 90, verse 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your mercy. There it is. said, Mercy. That you may sing for joy and be glad all our days. That we may sing for joy. See, joy is founded not upon good times, 
Problems all fixed. It's founded essentially and finally and ultimately on his loving kindness or mercy. Chesed. Verse 15. Make us glad according to the days you have afflicted us and the years we have seen evil. He's saying, please give us joy in the midst of suffering is what he's saying. That's our Sunday night series. Let your work appear to your servants and your majesty to their children. Let the favor, the grace of our God be upon us and confirm for us the work of our hands. Yes, confirm the work of our hands. Give us assurance. One more, Isaiah 63. Isaiah 63, we've got to bring a prophet in on this. The agonizing lives of these prophets, they lived horrible lives. Preaching to apostate people who will never get right with God. Isaiah and Jeremiah had no hope of seeing revival. They were called to be faithful. They are our example in the Old Testament of what we need to do as Christians and leaders in the New Testament. Continue to persevere in the face of an apostate and heretical church system today. Isaiah 63. Look at verse 6. I trod down the peoples in my anger. God is talking. Isaiah 63 verse 6 and made them drink, drunk in my wrath, and I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. How would you respond after God said that to you? God said that to the church. If, if we plug that into verse 6, I trod down the church in my anger and make professed believers drink of my wrath, and I poured out professed believers, apostates and heretics, their lifeblood on the earth. I would have said next, oh, wow, whew, duck. What does he do? Verse 7. I shall make mention of the loving kindness of the Lord, the praises of the Lord. I will make mention of the mercy. Why? Because I'm not in that wrath. This is what Isaiah is doing. He's looking at verse 6. This is all around me in this nation. God is destroying everything. Today, evil world, apostasy abounds. What do I do? I'm thankful I'm not part of the apostasy and heresy. I shall make mention of his mercy. And praise the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his, here's a second word of, for mercy in the Hebrew, racham, compassion. Chesed is loving compassion and mercy. And here, racham, mercy. Sympathy, emotionally feeling towards us. Always, never, never giving up on us. We actually many times give up on the Lord and even on ourselves, because of the failures of sin. And yet here, according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses, twice, three times, mercy is mentioned in one long verse. I shall make mention of the mercy of the Lord, verse 7, end of verse 7. He's granted, that's grace, graced us with mercy, according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses. Focus at the end of verse 7 on that word abundance. How abundant is God in mercy? Does his mercy ever end? Yes, we've seen in the hourglass of mercy. It ends for the unbeliever who rejects the gospel at some point, and it ends for the rebellious believer when he refuses to get his sin right with God. But for the repentant believer, when does his mercy ever end? Abundance. So the principle is living by mercy in your note sheet defeats unthankfulness as you grow in faith. Finally, this morning, back to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and our final hourglass of mercy, lesson number 10 this morning. Let's fill it in. 
Having received mercy, every believer should grant mercy continuously to others. This is sympathy towards others' sin. Write it in the blank lines. Sympathy towards other believers' sin, not the excusing of other believers' sin. So lesson 10, having received mercy, every believer should grant mercy continually to others. It's always like this in counseling. As I received, I give. God loves me, I love. God withholds wrath, I am patient. God grants me mercy, I give it. Mercy continually towards others. Go back to the front side, that lesson eight. Go back to the front side, lesson number eight. Mercy is sympathy for our sin plight, not the excusing of sin. Do you understand then how if you are confused, and I am confused, over the difference between sympathy towards sin and excusing it, how you and I can never fulfill lesson 10. If we do not have this clear, we will either be judging sinfully by having no sympathy towards other sin plight, or we will be compromising having sympathy and think that that means we should never admonish and we should just excuse sin. That is not giving mercy to others. Let's look at two passages very quickly, just so you can see it. Matthew 18. You know in Matthew 18, you know the story. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's how Peter talks about forgiveness. And he says in Matthew 18, verse 22, he wants to know how many times he should forgive. The Jewish idiom was to forgive... uh, three times, and then uh, double it and add one, so that would be seven. That was kind of the Jewish way of thinking it. You forgive three times and double it and add one, so he says seven, the number of completion. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, verse 22, Matthew 18, 22, but up to 70 times seven. And it's not saying, okay, let's tick it off on my calculator 490 times. It's ridiculous. This is an infinite number of times we're to forgive. Um, Is it unconditional? No, it's not. That would be the excusing of sin. So so this is the bottom line with the story. The bottom line is we show mercy by forgiving others. So you can write that down under Lesson 10. We show mercy by forgiving continuously others who sin against us. That's how you show mercy. And you do it from the heart. But that's not unconditional forgiveness. It's conditioned. And where's the condition? Go to verse 32. The summoning, the, the Lord summoned the wicked slave. I forgave you all that debt. Why? Notice the condition. Because you pleaded with me. There's always a condition. The condition is someone needs to ask for forgiveness. And notice forgiveness is the outworking of mercy because of verse 33. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? There's the defining issue. Verses 32 and 33 show that you show mercy from the heart, okay, by forgiving. So verse 35, my heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother. Notice, from your heart. Not outwardly, but from the heart. Don't ever say I forgive you if you don't mean it. Jesus says it's got to be from the heart. But it's got to be because there is pleading. And Luke 17 shows us this. Forgiveness is not unconditional. Luke 17. Chapter 17, verse 1. It is inevitable the stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. 
that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Notice, we sympathize with brothers and sisters who sin, but we still admonish. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, only then do you forgive. That's conditional. It has to be given from the heart and then granted from the heart, I forgive you. It's conditional. You see the condition. So you love unconditionally everyone, even those who don't ask for forgiveness, but you only grant it. This is how you show mercy. You grant forgiveness when it's asked for. That is showing mercy. If you refuse to grant forgiveness when it's asked for, the Lord will not forgive you and I of our sins. That's how serious this is. Okay? So let's be sure that we show mercy as we've received it. And that's why in verse 5, the apostle said, increase our faith. That's exactly right. You need to grow in faith to be a forgiving Christian. Absolutely. Father in heaven, as we finish up these and have finished now this lessons on mercy, and in January I'll just quickly touch on peace for five minutes, the third and final power conduit of your power towards us, the outworking of grace and mercy. Help us as a congregation to always seek forgiveness when we've sinned against others and grant forgiveness from the heart when others ask us to forgive them. This is, according to your work, how we show mercy. And this is how you show us mercy continuously. There never comes a time when we ask forgiveness from our minds, our hearts, truly meaning it, that you will not forgive us. There is never such a time. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your never-ending mercy towards your children who ask your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen.